This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute, so thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. This is number four. Number four. Number four. And I don't know that we've officially said this. I think we did try it on one and it didn't make it because we had to do it in the second edition. Oh, that's right. But we probably ought to clarify that nothing said in this podcast is official church doctrine yes. or policy, that everything is just the opinion of two teachers. Gomers. <laughs> Gomers um, teachers. Gomers. <laughs> Joe Schmoes um, that just enjoy sitting and chatting about the gospel. Absolutely. Uh, so if there's anything in this that you've come across, and you're like that's that doesn't that's not right. It probably isn't. So um, feel free to shoot us a message and let us know where we where we go wrong. Um, but this is week one of Isaiah. Yes. And I'm super stoked. I love Me Isaiah. Me too. Me uh, too. I, I know that there's a. I'm sure there's a few people. I shouldn't say I know. There's probably a handful of people out there who, as soon as they say, okay, let's get to Isaiah, and our eyes get big, uh-huh. their eyes glisten over, and they're like, oh. That's one of the worst things they want to hear in Sunday school. So, so uh, one of the one of the most insidious, awful myths in the church is that Isaiah is difficult. Yes. Um, I w- so we're building a home, and I keep coming across these these things that we're supposed to do, uh, and then I find myths. You know, I look on YouTube how to how to run pecs, and then I always search for myths or you know uh-huh. mistakes I made with pecs, <laughs> and it amazes things me. Things I wish I would have done. How often I come across like a video that's like do this, do this, do this, and then you find a, a another video from a professional plumber that's like whatever you do, don't do this. And I just think we've in the church we've talked so long about how hard Isaiah is yeah. that as soon as we come across one thing that doesn't seem to make sense, all of a sudden the whole chapter gets blank for yeah. us, and we're like, oh, it's hard. Yeah, and and with that, I, I thought. This is, I think there's four weeks of Come Follow Me in Isaiah. And so I thought maybe this, as this is the first week of Isaiah that we have, maybe just start with what are some keys? Keys for you or things that have helped you as you've studied Isaiah? Because there's a lot of people, doesn't matter what preface we just put in there, they still are like, yeah, that's what everybody else has said too, Uh right? Uh, I just jotted down just a couple basic things that for me have made a a huge difference. Um, Number one, slow down. In in studying Isaiah, I, I always just say, just slow down. If you don't get a part, go dig into it. If you don't get the verse, dig into it. There are so many commentaries. If all else fails, just Google it and weed through a couple of those sources on it. But there really is a lot of help that if you just slow down and say, I want to know what this means. I want to know what this means. It, the scriptures, I hope that most people are now past the point of it's all about getting through them. Because yeah. the first thing you do as soon as you're through them is start again. So why rush? Yep. So enjoy it. So the second piece of advice is the exact opposite. Speed up. Get the big picture of it. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't know it, big picture. Yeah. Even if it's just, just read the chapter heading. Yes. For a couple of days, uh-huh. just pull back, get the feel, of enjoy it. the forest for a yes. minute, and then you can dive back and, and, yep. and to look at specific trees. But yeah. And and with that, I just you said do it a few days. Practice Isaiah's practice. It is so great that we have the Book of Mormon on top of the Book of Isaiah, on top of the Doctrine and Covenants, that you have great commentary about Isaiah. Um, and as part of that context matters. Put yourself in the time period. Isaiah prophesies from the 740 to 700. Know what's happening to the kingdom of Israel. That they are in the middle of being destroyed and conquered and spread
spread by the Assyrians and know that the kingdom of Judah is right on their heels. And the same thing could happen to them if they don't repent. And then I, I just wrote this one down because I think this is kind of fun. Isaiah gives multiple chances. He repeats himself and, and not in the same way. But he gives you an object lesson or he gives you a scenario or, or, a, or a parable or whatever. And then he says, and if you didn't get that one, here's another one. And if you didn't get that one, here's another one. So there's sometimes that he's just repeating himself with different words. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he uses, there's some examples. Chapter 1 is a great example and, and they just keep coming. But you'll, you'll notice Isaiah going into one metaphor. So so early on, he's going to use the medical metaphors. Yep. You're sick, uh, yes. you're flying sores, and then if that doesn't work, let's talk politics. You're a besieged city, you're, yep. and and he just, he keeps changing metaphors. And so one of the tips that I would say is uh, don't, don't get caught up if you don't understand a piece of Isaiah. Yeah. Find a chunk of the chapter that does make sense and latch onto it. And, and be comfortable with those three or four verses. Uh, I think it's, it's a it's a it's a misnomer. It's it's a it's problematic if we think we need to understand all of Isaiah right now. The, you know, the Lord Himself said, "Greater the words of Isaiah, ponder them, study them," which which I think suggests we should anticipate not understanding them all at once. We should anticipate having to go back to the well over and over and over again. And each time we go back to the well, getting something new out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned the doctor part. I, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about was in chapter one. Um, I, I just made this, these notes in my scriptures. I, I love to write my scriptures and make notes in them. But verse one talks about his reign covers, uh, or sorry, Isaiah's ministry covers the reign of four of these kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Um, all of them are, are considered righteous kings over the rule of, of uh, Judah, except for Ahaz. He's considered, or he's not considered. It says in Second Kings he's wicked. He's wicked. Uh, but three of the kings are actually righteous, which is part of the rule of the kings makes it so that Judah isn't conquered because three of the four listen to Isaiah and listen to some of the other prophets at the same time that are overlapping that some of these other prophets are um, like Micah and um, Jonah and some of these other um, prophets are all prophesying at the same time here. But um, Isaiah is kind of like a doctor. And in terms of teaching ideas, this is probably what I would do. I would, uh, I, you'd give maybe just a basic question of who's ever been to the doctor before? Who's ever been to the dentist before? Do you like it or hate it? Yeah. What, what did he do? And you don't want to be like digging like, what's your medical problem or something like that? But, but talk about like, why do we go to the doctor? I, Isaiah really, this, this first part is he is a doctor in, in verses two to six, he gives the diagnosis. So you could talk to your class about why do we go to the doctor or, or what's the benefit of going there? Why does he need to diagnose you? Well, then he diagnoses it in verses two to six. And just some of those things that, that you, you mentioned, Brian, um, like in verse uh, five, he says, why should you be stricken anymore or sick? Well, that's why you go to the doctor, so you can stop being sick. And then he says, you will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. You're empty. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, what a great word. They have they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. And he says, you haven't been healed or fixed. Why? 
In today's day and age, there isn't a lot of reasons why somebody couldn't go to the doctor and get help and, and be fixed. He says, you're going to sit there and suffer in agony. There is no goodness inside of you. You are rotting from the inside out. And, and when he goes into those other analogies there, he says, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. My favorite one's in verse 8. Uh, he says that you're a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. Okay, that's my least favorite. I, I love that one. <laughs> and, and it's because... <laughs> If I ever get to see Isaiah, I'm going to be like, <laughs> where does that either, come that's from? That's either a mistranslation or the worst metaphor ever. Well, and I don't this get is, it. well, so I had to dig into it and figure out what it is. At harvest time, cucumber time, um, they would set up a lodge, a little hut, out in the field. And it was to keep watch over animals and thieves, over all of the harvest. And at the end of the season, do you need that lodge anymore? No. It's, you just abandoned it. It is an abandoned, empty lodge in a field that has no fruit anymore. Isn't that pretty neat? Oh, that's pretty cool. So all of a sudden, lodge of in the garden of cucumbers seems a little cooler. Um, and so to me, cue as a cucumber. That was a joke there. That's, but, yeah, I got it. <laughs> but but that idea of you you are empty from the outside. You look like you're doing okay, but but you're empty. There is no wholeness in it. And that's when the rest of the chapter gets into this is how you're healed. Here is the prescription, and here's the doctor. And Isaiah is always pointing people to Jesus. That is first and foremost the number one reason why we should love him is because he points people to the Savior. So that verse 8 is one of the examples of, uh, I think, my, my point about you don't have to understand everything. Because of the way Isaiah does his his poetry, uh, we talk about Hebrew poetry, and, and I, I don't know Hebrew, so I don't know if this actually rhymed when it was in the original Hebrew yeah. or not. Uh, but one of the most important ideas for me personally was this parallelism, this Hebrew parallelism yeah. that ancient prophets used. And so they say things, they say the same thing in a lot of different ways. So in verse 8, you're a cottage in a vineyard. I didn't really grow up in wine, you know, I didn't really grow up in vineyards or uh, around those kind of, that kind of, I don't really know what it means to be a cottage in a vineyard. I didn't, I, I have no idea what it means to be lodging cute, but I, I do now. You get what it means to be a besieged city. Yes. And and so but understanding that Isaiah is just saying the same thing three different ways. Yeah. Once I understand one of those things, I can kind of say, okay, I'm good with eight. And I can either dig in to see what additional insight the other images give me, or I can move on and, and yeah. be comfortable with it. Uh, and that is in verse eight is one of the examples of that of that parallelism that's going to come up over and over and over again yeah. throughout Isaiah and Jeremiah. And, and all the minor prophets are going to use that a little bit. And I don't know that anybody uses it as much as Isaiah does, though. Yeah. Well, and, and that idea that we mentioned earlier that Isaiah gives you multiple chances, that's mm -hmm. nice. You, if you missed one part of that verse, as you mentioned, you you can get it still by the end, so don't quit. Yeah, don't keep quit going. On it. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes that's one of the keys to understanding yeah. those things you don't understand is, if I don't understand something, look at, look at something immediately before it or immediately after it, and there may be a connection. There. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually, my the next set of verses are some of my like, just real, some of my favorites. But they're also you, you mentioned why do you go to the doctor? You usually go to the doctor because something's wrong. I had to take a car this morning. I had to rush back to Blackfoot, get a car onto a trailer because we couldn't get it to start. Get it over to the mechanic. I walked into the mechanic and he said, "Hey, how are you doing today?" And I said, "How do you think I'm doing? I'm here." Nobody goes to the mechanic because they're happy because everything's going well for them. Right. And I think sometimes we forget the fact that one of the purposes of prophets is to call us to repentance. It's to point out the things that aren't 
going well for us. And and in this modern age of, you know, everything's fine. You're fine just the way you are. Like, I get that to an extent. Yes, God loves you just just exactly the way you are. But don't but expect sees, to stay there. Like he, Elder yeah, Hobbs he said. sees yeah. where you can be. And, and Elder Ubdorf says where you are right now is the starting point. Jesus will start with you where you're at. Yeah. But don't, you can't come follow Jesus and stay in the same place. Yes. Because Jesus is going to take you forward. And so his first, you know, he talks about the wounds and the bruises and the sores. And I think one of the first things the doctor is going to do is say, let's talk about why you have these things. Let's talk about your lifestyle that's yeah. led to your wounds or your bruises. And verse 11, the, the Lord says through his prophet, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? Some of the other translations say, what good are these sacrifices to me? And I think about a, a, this, I, I'll always bring up the James Talmadge. I think about a, a, a parable that James Talmadge shared about a cat who, there's a guy who's walking through in, the streets of England and he hears some commotion. He looks down and there's a couple of boys throwing kittens into the river. And the, and the mama cat is pacing back and forth. So the guy goes down and there's a few kittens left and, and the gentleman purchases these kittens from these boys. And they're happy. He gives them whatever a few farthings is worth. And, and then he takes the kittens and he returns them to the, to the mama cat. And the next day the man's sitting in his flat in England and this same female cat shows up and drops a mouse, this fat mouse, on the on the windowsill of the guy who's who's purchased and saved her kittens. And Jelmich talks about the fact that the sacrifice does no good for the man. He's not the cat's gonna leave and he's gonna throw the cat the, the mouse, the mouse away. out. But for the cat, it's a huge sacrifice. That's a meal. That's, that's her and her and her, and her yeah her kittens and I think the Lord's pointing out here through Isaiah I haven't asked you to make sacrifices to the temple for my good it doesn't do me any good when you bring a lamb or a bullock and you slay it I don't eat the flesh I don't I don't benefit from the incense that's being burned like why do you think I've asked you to do this and we had a conversation with my kids about why do you think God asks us to fast why do you think God asks us to pay tithing why do we go to the sacrament the sacrament every Sunday and partake of the water and the and, and the bread? It's not because it helps God increase his net worth. And then he, and then the Lord says, and this is where he gets pretty blunt. And and maybe it's nice that Isaiah speaks in poetry because it, it softens it. Can you softens imagine if blow. <laughs> can you imagine if Jacob was the one giving this talk? <laughs> How straightforward um, that is. Yeah, and but he just says in behalf of the Lord, I'm full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of egos. And you can hear the Lord saying, Because of the way you make these sacrifices, I'm sick of it. He's going to say in verse 13, bring no more vain oblations. Don't bring any more offerings to me. Don't, in fact, stop going to the temple. Yeah. And we talked with my kids about it on Sunday. Like, Do you think the Lord really wants the children of Israel to quit going to the temple? Or quit sacrifice? Or quit or making sacrifice? This is the gospel. These are the ordinances. Yeah. This is the baptisms. And the, and it's, it's kind of, it reminded me of 2 Nephi when Nephi's talking about baptism. And Nephi says, if you make these covenants and then you break them, it, it's interesting. He doesn't say it would have been better for you never to have made the covenants. He says it would have been better for you to have never been born. Yeah. And and it, it, 
Isaiah's calling the children of Israel, and I think he's saying, this is why you're sick. It's because even though you're going through the motions, these ordinances are having no impact on you. Yeah. And the Lord's saying, I, I want you to come to the temple and make these sacrifices because it's supposed to change you. And I think for, for modern-day, Latter-day Saints, we ought to be thinking about, like, what what difference did this week in the sacrament have on me? Because yeah. you're right, in, in a sacrament meeting, there's you, you could theoretically have two people sitting right by each other. One person ate bread, and one person was filled with the Lord's Supper. And one person walks out very much edified and not bored and thought, that was for me today. And somebody else says, what's for lunch? Yeah. I'm, I'm ready to go home. We saw that in seminary all the time. You'd yeah. do class, you'd have a class, and you'd... The exact same experience, the exact same questions are asked, the exact same comments are made, the same verses are read, yeah. and you'd have one person walk out saying, that was awesome, that's exactly what I needed, and the next person would walk out saying, uh, let's not do that activity again. Yeah. And and you can and you can hear the Lord. And I just, the Lord goes on, your new moons uh, and your appointed feasts, my soul hated. They're a trouble to me. I'm weary to bear them. Just that idea wants to just hound that in one more time. This same idea is there's no soundness in it. This is the same thing he said at the beginning, where he said, you're empty and hollow. You are a, you are a cottage or a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. And let me keep explaining it for you in case you've missed yeah, it. Let me give you now. An, yes. I'm going to use metaphors. Here's the medical metaphor. Here's yep. the political metaphor, the, the, the farming yeah, metaphor. Agriculture. And now let me tell you, let me be blunt. Yep. I am tired of you going to the temple the way you're going to the temple. Yeah. You're not getting anything out of it. The purpose of fasting, we just finished fast Sunday. The purpose of this fast should be a delight to you because fasting should bring you closer to me. And if it didn't bring you closer to me, and that's kind of the pattern, and that's been the last several fast Sundays, I, I, the Lord's going, ah, this is, I don't, I, I'm not just asking you to go hungry. I want, I want you to get something out of it. And, and therefore, here's the prescription. And this is the, the what the chapter centers around, this idea, and Isaiah, frankly, centers around mm -hmm. in 16. Wash you. We're talking about being dirty and filthy, and he says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then the most famous probably mm -hmm. in Isaiah yeah, Maybe one, in all of Isaiah. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. Uh, I, I love, the, we talked a few weeks ago in Psalms about as far as the east is from the west, this is the same Lord. I, when we were talking about, I'm tired of your new moons, I'm tired of your feasts, I was thinking about Jesus, I think it's in Matthew 23, where he says, you're like a sepulcher. On the outside, you're very nice looking. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. That that as he's talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those people, he says, you, you can't do that anymore. It, you have got to be changed and got to be better. It, as a family idea or a, or a class idea, you may want to just break apart verses 16 and 17 and say, today we're going to do this. Today we're going to put away the evil. That's Monday. Uh, 
um, maybe Tuesday you say, today we want to learn to do well. Wednesday is seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fathers, plead for the widow, and then break it down and say, each one of these things we're going to focus on this week. This is our prescription for the day. The pill that we have to swallow is, how can I help relieve the oppressed today? How can I help judge the fatherless? And figure out what that looks like for you individually as a family or in a class or something like that. That's awesome. Spend, you could take a whole year. I was thinking about this. <laughs> you could take a year in Isaiah, 52 weeks, and you know, 1.2 chapters or 1.1 chapters a day, yeah. 66 chapters, and, and still not have enough time. Um, I want to. I just. I want to jump to chapter six. Um, I love chapter six. It's the calling. It's Isaiah's call. Um, it's been interesting this this last summer as we've talked about doctrinal shifts that the brethren are concerned about, and one of those being the idea of the, the, the fallibility of prophets. And I this I had somebody say to me, I don't even remember the context, but what, what, where I was at, I don't remember who said it to me, but they said, you know, the difference between Latter-day Saints and Catholics, Catholics, Catholics teach that the Pope is infallible and nobody believes him, and Latter-day Saints teaches that the prophets are fallible but nobody believes them, and and we're starting to grasp as we as we're looking at the lives of prophets, we're starting to grasp onto this idea that prophets are mortal men, and and yet there's some concern that we're maybe taking that too far and and saying, well, if they're fallible, then how can I trust, trust their prophecies? Anything. Yeah. And I love what the Lord does with Isaiah because I think this stands as the as the model yeah. for the prophets. Um, you know, the Lord appears to Isaiah in chapter six in the temple. In the temple. Um, and there's and, and it goes through some some experiences, but the one that I find the most enlightening to me, um, verse five, Isaiah says to the Lord, "Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips." I hear Isaiah saying, "I'm mortal. I'm a rough I'm stone imperfect. rolling. I'm rough stone." Yeah, you, you hear Joseph saying, "I'm a rough stone rolling," and every time I bump off an edge, you hear you hear Enoch saying, "I'm young and I'm, I'm a lad." Speech. Yeah. Uh, you hear Moses saying, "Who am I, right, that I yeah. should do this great thing?" You hear all of these prophets going through this, and then in so in Isaiah's case, I'm unclean. I have unclean lips. I, I've, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm certainly not good enough for what you're asking me to do. And then verse six. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And, I, and to me, I don't know that this is saying, I, I don't think this is saying, I'm going to make you a perfect person. I think what the Lord is saying, you know, the whole idea of the atonement, I'm going to cover your imperfections. In spite of your imperfections, Isaiah, I'm going to per, I'm going to perfect what comes out of your mouth. Yeah. Because what's going to come out of your mouth for the rest of this book is from me. It's not from you. And even though you're fallible, these words aren't. Yeah. And I, I, I go back to Doctrine and Covenants 1, that, that preface to the Lord's great book of this dispensation. And you get these, you know, these great verses of that, and the Lord saying, I use prophets. Yeah. I saw you in apostasy, and so what did I do? Because I understood the calamity, I called a prophet. Yeah. I called Joseph. And then later, at the 
very end of that verse, the Lord makes it as clear as possible when he says, whether by mine own voice or the voice of my servants. It's the same. It's the same. And, and this is why. It's because I've taken a tongue and coals and I've I've purged their I've, I've purged their fallibility from the from my messages. Because of who's calling them. Yep. And and that's that shift that we're not talking about their pastor that they have weaknesses. We're talking about what are they called to do. The yep. thing that they are called to do, they are okay in. I, I just to add a little I also had, had marked this and I love chapter six. Um, but if Isaiah's in the temple, he's at the place where the priests are. So you're in the holy place, not the holy of holies yet. And there's three things in there. On the left, right right to the left, there's the lamp, the light. On the right is the table of showbread and, and they have loaves of bread and stuff. And that's what David went in and ate and he wasn't supposed to. And then straight ahead is this second altar because the first altar is where they did all the beasts outside. This this next altar is an altar of incense and that's there was perpetually supposed to be burning of incense on the altar. And, and that altar often represented prayer. This is where Zacharias was when the Gabriel showed up to him to say, you're going to have a son named John. Isaiah's in the same place. And I love that idea of prayer equaling repentance. And that's that's what Isaiah is being purged with is a coal off of that altar where he's saying, your prayer I've heard. I, I know that you want to do this and I, I will give you the right words. That, that word purged, um, when, I, when I was a missionary and, and uh, I'll have to tell the full story a different time, but um, when I was a missionary, I had a um, one of the missionaries I lived with was named Elder Oshepkov from Latvia, and uh, I had a wart on my arm, and I asked him to burn it off, and we turned on the oven, put a screwdriver on the top of the oven, and he took the red-hot screwdriver onto my forearm and burned off a big wart, and then it blistered up, and I cut it off the next day, bled everywhere uh, after it was blistered up, and then I asked him to burn it again. And those of those people who know about warts know that they're inside, they're viruses, it's not just what's on the top that matters. And I've never had another wart. And I every time I read this I always think of that experience about about having a wart purged off, but also just thinking about what the Lord does. He's is he's healing the inside. He's not just taking care of the surface, the putrefying wounds on there, but he's dealing with us on the inside. That he doesn't just cleanse Isaiah's lips, he's cleansing all of the words that will come out of Isaiah because he's saying your words are going to become my words. I will back you up. This is the have confidence in yourself, Isaiah, because your message is now my message and we're in this together. And that idea of the Lord supporting his prophets is, is incredible here. I love that. That's awesome. Cool. But I don't know that I'd burn. I don't know that That's... <laughs> W. Oh, I, I heard that. It yeah, didn't work. Well, well, when you live with somebody from the Eastern Bloc, there over by Latvia, you just ask for yeah. things. Where is it, sir? Toronto, Canada. I'm sure they had compound W. They may have. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say? I, it's I, I, I guess maybe just just one other final thought here that um, in chapter eight and chapter nine, um, I, I won't go into the full breakdown of the verses, but. There's condemnation at the beginning of 8. There's condemnation at the end of 9. And right in the middle is Isaiah's, you have a baby. And you have that full story. And the, the, the little Christ child is mentioned earlier in 7. But he says in chapter 
9, verse 6, just the beautiful verse. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Um, I'm no good at singing, but I feel like singing when I read that. I feel like rejoicing in Christ as Isaiah, who now knows him. He knows that, I, that the Lord can purge him from what he has done wrong, and he, he understands how wonderful he is and the help that he is. Even though that we're surrounded by wickedness and hardships and evil all around us, Isaiah knows that little baby is here to save you because I know what he's going to do. And that, that's the message of Isaiah and the, the beautiful part of the Savior. I, so in, in chapter 10, it, it, this, the prophecy about the destruction of Assyria and, and the, the chapter heading, as you talk about just skimming the chapter heading, sometimes be a huge benefit. The destruction of Assyria is a type of destruction of the wicked at the second coming. And one of the things that I've thought about, the, the purposes of Isaiah... And, and the reason why I think it's so important that we spend a few weeks with it is that it, it should give us hope. Yeah. You know, the, what you just mentioned, the, the condemnation, the condemnation, here's a baby. And the purpose of the baby is to take away the condemnation. And uh, the destruction of Syria, when you, if you put this into context, I was thinking about why Nephi would like Isaiah so much and the fact that... Um, I tried to put it in timeline. Yes. In 2021, we are we just passed the 100-year anniversary of Doctrine and Covenants section 138 and Joseph F. Smith's great revelation. And Joseph F. Smith would have been Joseph F. Smith is to us what Isaiah would have been to Nephi. Yeah. Recent enough, like he wouldn't have known him, but recent enough that the old people in Nephi's day would have been little when Isaiah was prophesied. Yeah. You know, there, there's yeah. that potential that, or, or, you know, I heard grandma and grandpa talking about this, you know, being in, in, the, in the days of Isaiah, and, and that would have been the glory days for Judah. Yes. You talk about him, you know, the beginning, you mentioned he was he was the prophet that helps Hezekiah get through the, the Assyrian besiegement. Yes. And, and that is, I think, the message of the second coming. Those who will hold to their covenants will survive things that they have no business surviving. As hopeless and as desperate as the Israelites, as, as, the, as those in Judah would have been in Jerusalem, when the Assyrian, the, the powerhouse of the world, gathers around your borders, and you're this little tiny rinky-dink. Yeah. I mean, it, to put it into context, somebody put it into context for me, it would be like the United States military ganging up on Bingham County or Bannock County or wherever you're at, you know, and Salt Lake this County. little tiny, yeah, Utah County, this little tiny county that doesn't really even have a military. Yeah. And and now, and now you have this, the, 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 the military prowess of, of, a, of a powerhouse like the United States or, or one of the other world powers. And, and you think of how often the Lord places people in these impossible situations. You go back to even Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, and I'm going to promise you this land. It's Abraham and Sarah and Lot, and they're walking into a land, and the Lord says, I'm going to give you to this. This is gonna, all yours. This is yours. And then you look around, and it's it's possessed by these huge these these huge civilizations people that are rooted there uh, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt you're the, there's a lot of you but you're slaves and you send these spies in and you're like there's giants in the land the Lord is constantly 
constant. I, I think of the Lord as being, you know, always on the side of the underdog. Um, and and that is, as we read about Assyria, that's the message that Isaiah is saying. Is the second coming is going to be like this. There are going to be times when you feel like we have, there's no way we can win. Where all hope is lost. Um, and then there's this reminder that everything is in the Lord's hands. In verse 15, shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith. Assyria being the axe and the Lord being the one who hews. The northern tribes had, had apostatized. They had abandoned the, and forsaken the Lord. And so the Lord is clearing the vineyard, just like in Jacob 5. But there's this constant, this reminder to Jerusalem to say, Assyria may be scary, but I'm still the one in control of this. I love in 35 chapter, I think it's chapter 10, when the Lord speaks to the children, to the to the Nephites through the, the, the mist, and he, and he starts to point out all of these things that have happened. And I usually have my students go back and count the number of times that the word I or my is in that verse, suggesting that even in the time of chaos and destruction, the Lord was still in control. The, the Lord was still controlling it. Um, and, and verse 15 goes on, as if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up, or as if the staff should lift itself up, as if it were not wood. We're all just instruments in the hands of the Lord. And the Lord is, it, in the end, the Lord is in control. And so in these last days, let's not, let's not give up hope. Even though it seems like wicked is pervasive and is everywhere, let's not give up hope and let's remember that the Lord is coming. This baby is coming. I love that. That's great. Let's end there. Thanks for joining us and we will see you uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second, and we will see you in our next episode.